And we are live for our 96th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, we are following the the format that we've kind of or the cadence that we've fallen into where uh, we have a guest every other week. Uh, this week will just be me and Ken. We've got a number of topics that we want to cover, um, but you know, just hope everyone's staying safe out there uh, as things open back up. But you know, wherever you lie on the political uh, landscape, I guess. So um, yeah, there's uh, you know, first first things first, right? Um, there's a lot going on in the industry in general as far as research and, um, you know, online conferences. I, I did see that OWASP was going to have another online um, training sessions, like two or three of them over the course of the summer. Uh, so if you're interested in those, please, uh, you know, please sign up, check out what they're doing. I don't think they've decided on who the trainers are going to be yet or the CFT is open. Um, in addition to that, our course will be virtual for Black Hat USA. So if you are interested in uh, learning about secure code review from an offensive perspective, please sign up. Uh, and we'll also be at uh, Black Hat Europe. It got picked up for Black Hat Europe as well. Um, right now it's supposed to be in November, uh, but we'll see if uh, we'll see if that's virtual or actually in person. I, I don't have a lot of confidence right now that it will be in person, but you never know. Things can change. Yeah. Um, so outside of that, we are, yeah, we'll just dive into topics, right? Um, I know from a, from a, from just a general, like um, what we're working on perspective, uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was fuzzing, right? Um, I've got a, an ongoing project that I've been working on that is very, I, I'm helping a customer build out basically a fuzz library for their SDK um, that they provide to developers to interact with their backend uh, uh, tool, right? Or their backend. And um, it's been an interesting project to determine what, what should be used in order to test things properly, right? You've got a, a, a multitude of, of different fuzz lists that are out there, right? Uh, Daniel Meisler has his sec list, which is very kind of web focused or, you know, bug bounty focus. You've got FuzzDB that does jump in a little bit into like printf and other things. You've got Redamsa that'll just do straight like random strings. Um, but, uh, like what I wanted to ask you, Ken, and I, like I know we've kind of covered this in the past that I've done, like we've talked about security unit testing and testing in the pipeline. We have static analysis tools, which we're going to get to in a little bit too, based on a you know Twitter thread that just happened this morning. Um, but from a strict fuzzing perspective, like what is it that you recommend? What is it that you've used in the past? Um, like how do you go about approaching fuzzing in general uh, when you are analyzing an application or running like some sort of a dynamic assessment. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done like a pure dynamic assessment without code for like a long time. So yeah, usually it's just dependent on like, I don't know if you do this, but uh, 
sometimes I'll just see things that seem like um, I'll see like inputs that I, I I know like should be fuzzed, whether it's like a SQL call or if it's like uh, I don't know suspect. Like I've had this before with uh, with templates, templated. Uh, sorry, HTML like HTML generation templates inside of frameworks where I'm not really like the documents, the documentation is kind of sketchy on yeah. what the operators do. And um, so I've definitely like thrown, I've thrown a fuzzer at those type of like applications where I'm pretty sure the templating operators, one of them is going to be vulnerable. I just don't know. Like, like this, this actually has happened. I think it was with like dot JS. I think it was dot JS. <laughs> Maybe I'm, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. I, I honestly can't remember, but anyways, um, those are the instances like where I see, uh, um, anything like with a file sort of like upload where it, you know, so many applications today are just throwing it up on S3, but if they're doing like custom file uploads and they're storing it somewhere, that's a good time to start fuzzing, um, for size limitations for like mime type bypasses, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, well, it, okay. yeah, so, 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 so for me, it's yeah. like just knowing exactly what I don't I, anymore. I don't just like put in a URL and just start crawling and scanning. I just don't, yeah. I just don't have the need to do that anymore. I've got the code sitting right in front of me. So, well, and that's like, that's kind of what I wanted to get to, right? Like I feel like, well, and may, maybe this is just, you know, having been in the industry, we've done so many dynamic assessments over the years um, that like kind of one size fits all. We're just scanning to scan. Um, feels very, you know, 2008 or 2007 ish, right? Like that was what um, we used what app scan for back in the day or web inspect where you'd send it a URL, you'd get really concerned about logging into the application so it could reach everything and you just press go. Um, as opposed to kind of this targeted scan approach that uh, that we take nowadays, and I like, I, and I still think I need to revisit Sputter, right? The the whole idea, oh, of, right? Yeah, because it, it, it that's what it's about, right? Is you've got some sort of a CI/CD pipeline, you want to test your application. I want targeted fuzzing, right? I want targeted testing against sensitive endpoints. Uh, Burp Suite does this really well with Intruder, right? Is okay, this looks suspicious, guess what? I'm gonna send it to Intruder and I'm gonna limit, limit my testing to these two parameters and do X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? And so yeah. instead of, all right, I'm just like scanning the entire site and trying to find everything that I possibly can, you're limiting it to specific specific payloads and specific endpoints. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't wanna like discount, I should probably this closer. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I should, yeah. Um, well, one thing I was going to throw out there too is that like there is definitely value in scanning the entire application um, yeah. stack, but, or the stack, sorry, the entire application, all the end application endpoints, there is some value in periodically doing that. And I'll tell you, and I, I know you know this, but just for those watching, um, there's times where some libraries behave differently in production than they do in say development or even staging. Um, sometimes it is simply because your application is like has a different configuration 
in production than it has in development or staging. Um, some of that's hard to uncover if you're just trying to like fuzz it locally or in staging, obviously you need to see that and happen in production. But the other part is like web server based, right? So like when you run a local dev server, typically you're not, not running the same, the same exact stack. I mean, I guess it's getting with like Docker and containerization, um, and like Docker, Docker compose, it's getting a little bit closer to, to, to matching up with production, but yeah, in, in general, the production web server differs from what you're running locally. So you have yeah. to kind of um, just see how it behaves because it may not behave like uh, a perfect example was when we were running an application. We talk about this in the course um, as an example. When we were running this application in production, there was a um, the there was a, a con configuration issue. And if you didn't pass it a certain parameter, it um, dropped the uh, OAuth uh, client ID in secret as an exception message, which you would <laughs> never see in development. It was purely in like a production um, environment that you would see that. Um, that's one example we've had where the web server, and I say we, I don't mean like GitHub, I just mean like in general. I've had issues with web servers that reflect back um, content if there's a couple of reasons. One, one I'd seen a Sinatra, it was like a Sinatra app. Or I think it was a Sinatra app. Like this is back in my living social days where um, if you didn't supply one of the parameters that expected, like it actually had a list of parameters. Oh, sorry. If you supplied, sorry. It's if you supplied a parameter that wasn't in the list of acceptable parameters, it would just echo back the parameter name and like, you know, hey, this parameter is not supposed to be passed in. But like obviously reflected back with no... Um, no escaping so you know easy cross-site yeah. scripting no csp back then um and uh that was only detectable in production so anyways that's my long-winded way of saying like there's still value in it it's just most times yeah for me it's more targeted yeah I, yeah and i like i i wanted to talk about well you, you you bring up a good point with production and and validation when things go into production this this is a a strange fight that I always have though as a um, as a consultant coming into an organization because like inevitably right and this even happened within the past couple of weeks somebody wants us to test in production which is fine but they've never done a pen test in production before right um, and so like it if I can take down your web server with a single tool that's running 10 threads because of like some redirect proxy that you have sitting in front of your uh, application, that's a bad thing. And you should know that before I walk in the door. Right. Uh, and like it, that, you know, so I it, feel like that's, those are the good, those are the times where you realize if you work for a good consulting company or manager, or not, because how many times have you gotten that call on like a Friday night or a, you know, whatever, like at night where like, oh, the customer's hot because you brought down their server and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I used 10 threads on Burp and your shitty site can't handle it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, and it's like, it's, 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 uh, it really does come down to like your, um, your company's response to that. If they're like, yeah, no, we just uncovered a massive critical issue for you. Like, you're welcome. Like yeah. you'll receive your invoice in a day or two. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, and, 
And, you know, and to be fair, right, that's that's basically how the, the customer responded is they were like, crap, can you just turn that off? And I was like, sure, right? Like, you know, we, we stopped what we were doing. And in this case, I think we were using fuzz faster, right? But, but the mm. only thing that we were doing was directory enumeration, right? And so it wasn't yeah. actually hitting the backend application. It was honestly like an Nginx, like redirect, and or I don't know if it was Nginx, but whatever, like sitting in front that mm. was that was parsing the path and then deciding whether or not it went to the application or not. But because we were sending 10 threads at it, it just couldn't handle this amount <laughs> of like, you know, oh, it looks like you're making, oh, I can't remember exactly, but they're like, oh, you're making like 3,000 or like, you know, 3,000 requests a minute or something like that. And I'm like, and? <laughs> right? and I'm like, well, it's taken down this like one component. And like, after we talked about it, I sent them over like, okay, this is the actual command I'm running. They're like, great. We're going to put that into our like testing pipeline. Right. I'm like, oh. good. Right. Like, so you guys actually like, they learned from it. I, I mean, again, I learned from it. Cause I was like, I didn't think it was, it's very rare that we take down a site when we're doing, mm -hmm application penetration testing it just is right yeah. but you know just like some of those simple fuzz things you just don't expect and you never know what's going to happen so depending on the organization testing and production is always this kind of weird weird use case um not to mention like you start to you find an ability to delete somebody else's object right like through insecure direct object reference and you don't realize that it's actually being successful. Oh, like God. this is this has honestly happened to me before, <laughs> right? And so like we like delete some and then I'm like, oh shit. Oh man, right? it's happened to me too. <laughs> what do I and then I'm like, I'm scrambling, I'm sending them like I hope you have backups, right? Like I just I'm like, oh, this is why I like to test in in QA or staging, where at the very least I know I'm not gonna take this crap out, right? And it's uh, but like I Bro, understand, I got yeah. Yeah. I got a story about that for you, actually, just real quick. When I, when I worked contracted for the Pentagon, you know, like the way it worked was we, we scanned people that I think I talked, we, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, scanned, we did our assessments on people that connect to the backbone. So it's like, you've got all your different agencies. Some of some it's army, some it's something else, whatever. Right. So, um, the agencies would connect in, we'd have to do the assessments. So on one of these, it was like a, supply i think it was a supply based agency i can't really remember anyways they um they're like oh yeah we're gonna give you staging staging right perfect okay cool we're gonna yeah. test staging well they had an endpoint where so like you know burp just in any crawler you know how it works it just looks for an href link goes to yeah. that parses for additional href links so what it, what they had done was they actually had a delete function obviously no c surf protection because it's just a get request to delete yeah so what it did is it went in the, the spider it it crawled and then it visited each delete link and deleted a record no big deal right it's in staging yeah so then they're like oh no 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 well yeah that app's like a staging app but it connected to a production database <laughs> <laughs> so we deleted like every record for their supplies. They had to like back it up. I'm like, oh my God. And you know, it's like, and they were furious and we had to explain it. And and, and even then I don't think they were happy. I mean, obviously they weren't happy, but I'm like, well, you know what? Like if you build your application like that, you just learned a couple good, you, you just learned a few good lessons. Lessons, you know? yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, Anyways, like, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of a situation that happened like not re you know, recently and it was like testing in production, but it was supposed to be like this beta feature where they were already allowing 
you know, clients into it to actually use it, which is great, right? Like that's fine. They're testing it out, but you know, I'm able to update like basically every client's data and not realizing that it's successful until like, you know, I'd already updated like 30 or something clients. They're like, Oh, what do you think you're doing? Now we have to go back in. We don't have backups of that. And I'm like, well, dude, like this is, I'm sorry, right? Like, I'm sorry. I, like, what, what, what do you want me to say? <laughs> you shouldn't have had IDOR, right? Like, I, yeah. Yeah. No, that's the yeah. answer. The answer yeah. is you shouldn't have had IDOR. You shouldn't. Yeah. Also, like, come on, any like state changing, we, we preach this so often. I mean, this is just good practice. This is why you don't state, state changing requests require an authenticity token so that it's yeah. harder to do this stuff, you know? So it's like, Although I guess that's less of a thing now. It's pretty easy to just read a form and get a link and then have the token and send it on. But usually that stuff's configured, you know, you have to configure that. So, well, um, I, I mean, what is uh, it like? Uh, yeah. Like authorization is hard, right? That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like be between state, you know, like, uh, you know, CSERF tokens and, just yeah. like in general, like whether or not somebody should have access to something like it's so common. Like, and honestly, that's the most common vulnerability I find nowadays. Do you think people look at CSERF as uh, authorization pro uh, related protection like we do? Or do you think that that's like, I don't even know. That, that doesn't seem debatable. It doesn't seem like it'd be a, like a, I don't know. I'm not sure if I, everybody sees it that way. I, I don't know if they do, right? Cause it, it's so, such a specific, like, and, and this is part of a, okay. You know, apparently we're just going off on a tangent. This is part of the problem with the OS Go for 10, it. right? Is like, um, you've always had broken access control or access control authorization issues in the OS top 10, but this like, um, this tendency to attach values to specific types of authorization vulnerabilities means mm -hmm. they get promoted in a different way. Right. Um, so like, so I, I see the same thing with cross-site scripting and injection, right? Is like cross-site scripting just is, that. is an injection vulnerability. CSERF, like it, IDOR, they're both authorization vulnerabilities. And it seems like we're slowly fixing that. Um, mm. But, you know, CSERF has been out there as a vulnerability for years. And we've addressed it almost in a different way using these authentic authenticity tokens. Um, so it becomes like this, okay, yes, it is broken authorization, but people still list it separately or it may not necessarily fall under that depending on your your own view, right? Or your own opinion. So I guess I, I like opinions vary, but I think most people that are in the industry probably view it as authorization. Mm. Long-winded way to say that. Man, I was just thinking about like, as you were, as you were, as you mentioned it actually about like, I was just thinking, is there, because you were talking about like IDOR and some of the things we've quote unquote, you know, gotten better at fixing or identifying. But I was just thinking like, man, there's so many vulnerabilities that I come across. Um, or I shouldn't say there's so many vulnerabilities. I should say many of the small amount of vulnerabilities I get to come across these days are like so non, you're not going to catch with the scanner. They're like so business specific that, uh, like I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just they're not, they're not like easily. Basically, you would have to have written unit tests for the as you developed each of these features yeah. with an exact threat in mind, 
and then had build it, built in those tests because otherwise it's just like, there's no SaaS tool that even has a shot, not because SaaS tools are whatever, limited or garbage or whatever. That's not the case. I'm, I mean, they're just like very business logic flaw related and it's it's subtle. It's very subtle. It's very easy to miss. Well, okay. So yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of the authorization flaws, and this is why we find so many of them is it requires actual like human interaction to, to identify whether or not that should be the case. So recent assessment we're doing, we've got code, we've got an application, we find like an instance where, you know, one user logged in um, to an organization can see another organization's data in certain scenarios. We dig into the code, it's Java, it's basically an overloaded function that has like three or four different, like same function name with different uh, parameters that are moving into it, all with the same name, but like one's an object and one's a string. Oh, and yeah. And, and, and it's just like, wow, like I, I don't, and in one of the cases, when it came in as a string versus an object, as it's coming in from, you know, the front end servlet, like they just don't, like the protections don't exist or they return before they actually check the protections, which gave the, you know, gave the ability to actually see somebody else's data. But catching that was such a weird, weird kind of edge case because of the number of different overloaded functions. And without access to the code, we could have never like, we would never have known that it existed. Um, uh, yeah, like it just, well, it's, it's so difficult to see, right? But you, you can exploit it, right? You know? And you that's know, why I was kind of stumble onto it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, um, go ahead. No, I was just thinking like, because yeah, so that that's that's kind of the like, we, when we were talking about voting, we were talking about voting, the voting app or votes yeah, issue, votes. all that stuff going down. And I like, I don't know if you remember, but I was pretty, I would say nihilist about like the idea of software being, it sounds crazy for like a software security podcast for me being like, I'm not sure it could ever be secure, but dude, how many like C like long lasting libraries have you seen that were, you know, quote unquote fine for years. And then they're like, oh, this bug has been uncovered. It's been sitting here for years, no matter how many eyes had looked at it, because sometimes it's just that subtle. And that's why I feel like it's such a hard problem to guarantee 100% there's no security flaw inside of um, code. I think we get most of the way there, but it's very difficult to, I know that sounds crazy. And like, we'll be like, well, that's, it's your job to make sure everything's secure. That's true to a degree, but there's never, as long as code keeps changing, like I, I just, I, you know what I mean? As it's being updated, I just don't, I don't know that you'll ever get to a hundred percent. I'm just, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Oh, Unless it's well, very, okay. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It depends on the code size. It depends on certain things and it, and for sure. And like, did you build custom libraries and you're not using anybody else's libraries, but well, maybe, but see then even there, it's like, what if you're doing like custom crypto, you shouldn't be doing that. You use a crypto <laughs> library, but then that crypto library had an eight year old bug sitting out there. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, you know, anyways, it's just hard. It's just a hard problem to solve. I guess that's why we have a podcast. Yeah. I, oh, no, I, I mean, I would agree. I don't think that it's ever going to be completely solved. Right. But I, I mean, that's part of the reason we always, we always harp on a layered security approach, right? That you want to fuzz your own stuff. You want to like test everything that you possibly can. Um, but 
Yeah, like I, I always think back to the to the beginning of kind of the you know security industry, and initially it was like, oh, there's these buffer overflow things, right? And everybody's like, oh crap, mm. this is crazy, right? Look, look at we can, what we can do. And then like every time there's a new class of bug that comes out, it's like, oh crap, right? Like we didn't necessarily think about that. Um, and it all it takes is one person that stumbles onto this edge case and you know blows the security model out of the water. Uh, we've done better at being able to limit the, you know, kind of the the damage circle that, you know that occurs from those different vulnerabilities with the layered security model. But I always think that I'm with you. I always think there's going to be some new class that comes out. There's going to be some new approach um, that, that basically creates new security problems and security flaws in you know, libraries or whatever else, not to mention the whole, what are you depending on and software composition analysis and interactions and business logic flaws that we run into. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's why I think, and this is probably uh, here in a second, a good time to loop in that conversation from Twitter about um, CodeQL and SaaS tools. But I actually do think that the way that AppSec's going to change is, uh, which I think that that's why I'm, I'm, that tweet you brought up um, and, and what we're going to talk about is like, I think, super relevant because I do see our jobs changing. And um, you mentioned just now software composition. So I think it's part, I think software composition is part of building a, risk profile for an application. And I think, I think where we're going is doing a better job of upfront as, as new features get developed, as new applications get developed, as code changes, like getting into more of a self-service risk profiling um, sort of scenario with, but with devs, not like just the devs doing it, just like with them. So you, we all have a pretty good sense of like what our concerns are and what our risks are. And we've got like a nice little handy checklist to go through and all that. And I think, I think what we're going to end up doing more of is two things. Um, unit, like whether it's unit test or whatever it is, like more building of tests to that are specific to each thing that's getting developed, right? Um, yeah. That's one thing that we could be doing. And the second is instrumentation, which I think is where that Twitter thread was going, was a lot more instrumentation with things like CodeQL, where we're developing, maybe we have a framework like CodeQL to do static analysis and build the AST and, and just sort of like find issues. Um, but like, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's going to be um, not purchasing a I agree with that tw Twitter thread, actually. I think it's not going to be purchasing tools. I think you're going to see more of people building their own checks from tools. That's not to say there won't be a place for um, big box sort of like on-prem or whatever scanners. I'm sure that those will still still exist in, in some form. And of course, the the thing is most companies don't or, or sorry, most companies, I should say there, there are a lot of companies that hire generalist security and not application security. And those people are typically the, uh, using a scanner because that's what they do, right? Like they've got a certain amount of scans they have to do a week, take those reports, drop it off to their, to whoever needs to see the results. 
So that, that'll still stay. But I think if you're talking about true AppSec specific people, I think it's going to go more in the way of custom tooling and unit testing and risk profiling with developers, with developers. So that the developer yeah. from the beginning can think about this stuff themselves. Yeah. I, and we should, yeah, we should post that link at least oh, to yeah. the beginning of the, um, you know, the first tweet from Omar. Uh, so Omar's been on the show before. Um, you know, it's been a little while, but let me see. Here's the, this is this is the one that spurred it all, right? So he was asking about, specifically about Node, right? Um, and seeing if there was any tool out there that actually de detected everywhere in the code where input comes from a request body or query, query parameter, right? So he was thinking about writing an ESLint plugin. And from there, it just kind of spirals, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Somebody, you know, Marcin, Marcin, I think is his name, brings up uh, code QL, right? Um, right? Saying ESLint is great for simple security tools. And it's, it's really easy to, to build a regex. We talk about this in the course if you're looking at Node.js code or JavaScript code, you know, looking for app.get or app.post. That's a fairly easy thing to do. We're looking for where request is being called. Um, but you can easily build that into ESLint or even code QL but where you're actually recognizing what objects are coming in and where they're actually coming from. Um, but then this started to take a different um, take, right? Or a, a different um, path of discussion. Let's see, where is it? Um, and it was Jeff, uh, Jim that jumped in, right? Oh, talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, talking about Sigital um, and, well, specifically Gary McGraw, right? Basically saying you need to hold experts at gunpoint to get them to build a good static analysis rules. So there wasn't any like, oh, there's not going to be a real free tool out there because it's expensive to build. And I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that anymore. Right. So I can't, I don't see his response. So Jim, Jim Manico, he said, uh, oh wait, I see Omer is, uh, Here, let me, for some reason I don't see Jim Manico. I just threw it into the chat. If you can see it. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. I'm just like, which chat? <laughs> I'm trying to see his response. Uh, this should be interesting. It always is. This Sigital Gem is, yeah, Gary McGraw. That's Sigital, at Sigital Gem is Gary McGraw. And if you don't know Gary McGraw, so Gary McGraw has been in um, software security landscape. He, uh, he, he um, uh, was like, was he the founder of Sigital or was he a co-founder? I'm not clear on that. I think he was co-founder, but I mean, he was one of the initial... Um, developers of Fortify, like the Fortify static analysis tool, right? And he had a book um, on static analysis that was kind of the groundbreaking, this is how you build ASTs, this is how you check for security issues in code. Um, what was that yeah. He, he says, he quote, but Jim Manico uh, quoted Gary McGraw saying, you need to hold experts at gunpoint to get them to build it. Like you said, okay. But yeah, no, I don't. I don't agree with that. Um, and actually, Gary McGraw did reply. He said, uh, "Indeed, when we developed the very first set of SAST rules in 1999, it took some serious doing. Later, when the technology that evolved 
Into the Fortify engine was being developed. Rules generation was a major activity and contributed a ma majority of actual value to the tool. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to write rules, um, but I think the harder part, so should we, let's just do like a brief for those that aren't familiar with SAST. Um, if okay. you're not doing something that's just like regex based um, and you're actually building out what's called an abstract syntax tree, what that does is it actually parses the code to build nodes. And inside those nodes, there there's some information on like um, sort of like it has like a, you could, that's how you get your source to sync sort of trace, right? Where an input comes, where does it go? Everywhere it's processed in between. Nodes help identify, uh, you can parse those and you can find like functions that are maybe like sketch functions, you know, like file or system. And then you can kind of trace back words from there, like where did it come from? And that's sort of the idea. That's like a very super high level. I'm sure I'm making Justin Collins cringe right now, but that's my, that's super high level AST or sorry, uh, static analysis tool, sort of the idea, how it works. So the rules are obviously the part where you're, you're, you're like saying, Hey, these are the sketch functions I'm looking for. You know, these are the sort sort of behaviors that I'm, uh, behavior that I'm worried about, uh, whatever, like, you can just build your rules. Well, with something like CodeQL, like that you can just play with and just use, now you can build your own set of rules. That's essentially what CodeQL allows you to do is you can, you can build your own rules. So I don't think it's, a, here's where I think there, now that we're up to that point, I think what maybe they were saying was that it's hard to generate those rules. It takes a fair amount of brain power, whatever. I think that it, that's not true. I think that it is not as difficult or as mysterious as you would think. Um, I think in AppSec, we understand as a fundamental requirement of being an AppSec professional. At least I think this isn't like, I don't think this is like, me being crazy when I say that we should absolutely know code, uh, like as a fundamental of our job. Um, I would hope that's not like a crazy thing to say, but anyways. Um, well, I, I, so, so Ken, this goes back to like static analysis tools and how they were built initially and they were targeted at security people, right? right. They were targeted at someone that could kind of read pseudocode, but wasn't necessarily a developer. And so, like, um, and it, and maybe they would dispute that. Maybe Gary would dispute it that it was, hey, guess what? You know, no, we were we were looking and we're trying to embed things in the IDE for developers. And I know they pushed that direction, but the primary consumer of those static analysis tools was not the developer. Initially, it was compliance and security. And so like they would, you know, run a report. Like I, I was in multiple like sales calls back in the day where Fortify and AppScan Source were coming in or, or Ounce at the time. They weren't talking to developers. They were talking to the CISO. They were talking to the security director. And they're like, look, this tool will secure your code, right? That was the, that was the selling point. And this is where... And I think that's where this disconnect is. I'm, I absolutely agree with you as far as like being an application security person. You've got to know code. You understand what an abstract, abstract syntax tree is. I can't speak today, apparently. But you understand <laughs> me, what an AST is. And you, you understand that it's really like what's happening when you ask CodeQL a question is it's traversing the tree and it's saying, okay, 
show me all the instances of this tree where you see something from request to like, you know, SQL.call or whatever it is, right? <laughs> dot um, raw. Dot raw, exactly. That's one of the, that, that's a rule that you can write. And if, if you understand, like you can model this out simply in your own head as far as, hey, can I trace and see like this, you know, request dot param um, goes to this function, to this function, to this function, and then with call, which calls SQL.raw, hey, guess what? There's a pathway there, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's all that static analysis is doing. The, the, the beauty of it is building that abstract syntax tree, holding it in memory, and being able to trace everything down in it quickly, right? Right. Um, but I, like, I, I, and I'm not sure where you were going. I kind of interrupted. I'm sorry about that. But I think the initial problem is like who they were selling those static analysis tools to. Um, and developers, they started to get the result, you know, 50,000 findings coming out of Fortify, 98% of them, you know, were either like very low risk or, you know, didn't realize that this one function cleaned stuff up as it was coming in. You know, that kind of stuff really soured the development community on static analysis tools. Um, yeah, the way it was used as kind of like, because uh, I had definitely seen it used in a way where like it dropped a stack of findings and with no context or like validation of the findings. And it was just, when I say they, I mean, a security generalist who was just like, I got to run my scan. This is what, and, and honestly, you can't, here's the other thing. Can you really blame them too much? Because when you look at like something such as, we'll say, I don't know, Retina or Nessus, like mm-hmm. uh, going back in the day a little bit. Um, those are, uh, they're not, I mean, this is not to say they don't, they definitely have false positives. A hundred percent they have false positives, but I think it's a little more black and white to a degree it's like if i if you if i say that this port's open and it's clearly not open or if i say this like operating system is outdated and it's not even the right operating system which is i've definitely seen happen it's probably but like if you don't understand app appsec um super well that's not what you do for a living it's kind of hard to interpret those results especially when there's like three thousand of them and probably 2900 of them are just the same xss of one line of code that if you changed it gets rid of those findings but anyways um what i was where i was going with it though is that if you are in appsec you probably know how to code you probably have built an application or two and it's not so crazy to think that you could build because their argument was basically like rule generation is difficult right that's why it was expensive that's why it was pricey and that's why that that's why at least maybe I think that's how I'm interpreting what they're saying. Like they're, they're saying that's the reason it's, it's hard to get people to give that stuff that's quality away for free. Um, you know, which I, I think Brakeman and, and uh, Justin Collins are like one example of where that's, that argument falls down completely. Um, yeah. And secondly uh, with code QL and like you said, being able to have the ability to just basically query for the things you're worried about, like, yeah, I think it's very easy to take an abstract skill and apply it to that and create rules, and that's fine. And give it away, sure. Why not? Why wouldn't I give it away? Honestly, if I build with CodeQL something that really works for GoLang and Mux, or something that really works well with Node and Express, why the fuck would I have like any reason to keep that? I, just to myself, you know what I mean? 
like mm-hmm. certainly business like IPs specific to our authorization or specific to our cases, that's different when you build checks for that. But if it's just generic checks for like those types of frameworks, I just, I don't see why that, why I wouldn't give that away. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, yeah. And I mean, cause uh, on the SEML site, right? Like I keep looking at all the different like call graphs and like uh, tools that are out there and like, it's, yeah, I like it, it's all about, the industry as a whole leveling up, right? For lack of a better term. Um, And if we can provide some of those tools and the ability to run them and to build an abstract syntax tree for, you know, extremely low cost, all it does is it makes, it makes things better for everyone across the board. Well, look what you have now. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I I, I mean, the the thing that I struggle with, right? walking into so many different organizations as a consultant is the the level of maturity from one org to the next dictates the the level of application security. So I still run into the organizations where there's one security guy who they hired like, you know, a couple security of years person. In, security person. Yep. One security person. And they're trying to do everything from container security to scanning to PCI to like AppSec. And so they, they like the developers may or may not have a security bent to them. Um, but even if they do, there's not a lot of support for, right? Like actually spending time on security issues versus features, right? And then there's that organization that I see more often than I probably wish to admit. And then there's the 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 flip side where you've got a dedicated team of, you know, application security people that have security champions in every single dev team. And I'm looking at one single feature and like it as a as an outsider, I'm just validating that they're doing what they should be doing. But it's very rare that I find this high security or a high severity vulnerability in that code base, it's a lot easier when the people don't look at it, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and think about this, man. All right, so Node.js scan, uh, Breakman. Um, What's that one, We we, uh, what's the one we, we, for um, Django? Uh, We we talk about it. Uh, You're thinking like Bandit? Bandit, Bandit? yeah, sorry, Bandit, Bandit. Um, just like to name a few, right. There's, there's like uh GoSec, I think is what the one for Golang. So everybody's building their own frameworks for static analysis as it is in each individual language as it is. So now you have like a unified, whether it's CoQL or whether it's another one or two, like you have a pretty, you, you now are coming into a place where we've got kind of like a, a unified way of writing checks for multiple languages and, and frameworks, right? I mean, not everything's supported with it right now, but it, they're adding to it. So I guess what I'm saying is those, you had to write those tools, the way they inter, interface, how they behave, and then write checks. And people still gave it away for free. Now imagine just all you do is write checks. That's it. And you can give that away for free, no problem. I'm, I mean, Honestly, I'm. There probably is, we're talking about this, and there probably is some sort of like repo stood up right now to like share ch- checks for CodeQL. Um, if I if we were to Google it, uh, anyways. So actually, what I'm going to 
to do that, but because now I'm curious, like, I'm sure somebody has to be. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I just don't, I just think that, uh, that's where our jobs are, are going, um, for AppSec pros, which it may even become a consulting thing, right? Like if you run a, I mean, you run a consultancy, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it sounds like this is that's a sort of where you've been kind of going, and or because of customers driving it, really, where they yeah. want more, more. Well, like, they do. Fun. It, yeah, because that goes back to the fuzzing that I was talking about previously, right? Is that I'm getting customers that are asking for, hey, like, let's not just do a dynamic scan, right? Like, yes, like we need to do that, right? To validate that everything is, but give me something that I can put into my pipeline that's going to check for, uh, you know, cross-site scripting and SQL injection in the places where it's appropriate. Um, I, I mean, obviously this is where, you know, Sputter, like that talk that I did at Black Hat a couple of years ago, um, that was the whole point of that as well. But we, I am seeing more and more people concerned about that rather than just the the strict dynamic side of things, for sure. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I was looking for that. I was looking for that link. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that exists. I'll. I'll. This, I should know this actually because it should be part of my. I've been so busy, man. Like, yeah. I, I've been wanting to dig in more with CodeQL, but it's just we had satellite and. Uh, yeah, I, I, did I mention what happens with satellite cycles? Sort of uh, satellite universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've talked so. about it before. Just because everybody's releasing features, so you guys get slammed from a make sure this is secure before we announce it and give it out to the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Last week it finally kind of like slowed down a little bit. Plus, you get a little. This is an interesting thing too for anybody who runs a bug bounty. If you do like a thing like that where you release some features you know, and you start to beta people in, um, you're going to get reports, you know, it's like, um, probably going to get reports. You should always prepare. Basically what I'm saying is probably don't schedule PTO for like, uh, or don't schedule half your team. Off. Not that that's an issue for us. I'm just saying like, you know, if you're plan if you're in like planning phases, obviously you probably want to keep some staff around after for the first couple of weeks after you ship something, just, to handle and triage bug bounty reports or anything like that. So, cause you're going to get some in and I'm not saying they're even like valid, but you need somebody there to triage them and take a look to see if they're valid or not. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And sometimes I mean, you just have like a known list of things internally that you're tracking. Um, and so they might be valid, but you need, you need that, like your team on hand to say like, Oh yeah, we already identified that. It's just something we're, working on fixing or we know about it, but we don't care. You know, we had this discussion, so. Yep. So or I shouldn't say care. It's not really a risk. So did you find anything? You look very pensive. No, sorry. Like now I'm, I'm digging into medium posts on code QL and I like, you know, it just all it, like the fact that we're recording a podcast just went out the window. So there you go. That's where I'm at today. <laughs> That's no, where I think I, I'm at too. I'm it's dude. I told you like last week, man, my, from Friday, I, I had four projects scheduled that day of Friday. I took PTOs just to do like, like things like get my documents together for taxes and get like my life in order and get some, yeah, just get like some pet, some hobby, some, or not some pet projects done, bro, that faucet issue. So 
just real briefly, it started around noon. I was like, I'm going to take care of this, taking out my old faucet, which I installed originally in my kitchen sink. And like uh, that freaking nut that's underneath where you usually just use a basin wrench. It was, it was so bad that like when I finally had to call out a plumber because I broke that pipe and I had to turn water off to my house, which is how that, how that day went like at nine o'clock I'm having a guy in my house, like fix the plumbing. Anyways, uh, the, he had to use a saw to cut the sink off because the mineral deposits are, were so heavy and so difficult that he couldn't himself get that, that old sink that I put on or that old faucet that I put on off. So yeah, man, it was, it was a, it was a nightmare day. It was, I mean, it was, it was fine. I just kind of rolled with the punches, but it was a crazy day, man. Like I was sitting there working on the pipe and my shoulder hit this brittle PVC pipe. And all of a sudden I got hot water, like really hot water all on my face. I'm like running to the basement blind to cut off the water. It was a heck of a day. So yeah, it's been sort of projects like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it today, man. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Right. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I, home improvement takes it out it of does, you. It does. Home improvement. Home, a home is a hobby. It's not an investment. Just anybody that's out there. Right. That's what it becomes. Um, not an investment. Not yeah. a good investment. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably better. Yeah. You're better off. It's great to have a place to live and all blah, blah, blah. But yeah. 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 I'm kidding. I'm not a financial advisor, clearly, if I'm just yeah. now getting my tax documents together. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, to go back to, you know, code QL though and, and fuzzing is I, like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I would like to see more of this happening as well. Right. It's definitely just certain organizations that come in and ask for that sort of feedback um, so like if anyone is interested, right, like in code review to the style of, Hey, we're building tests. So you can actually like test your code, you know, reach out, um, or jump in the absolute absolute channel. We'd love to chat about it. Um, or Stefan always has opinions on that kind of stuff as well. Right. If you want logical to, to either help you become a nihilist or, you know, <laughs> try and convince him otherwise. I don't know. However you want to do it. Are we still talking about that thing that Stefan's and uh oh was, yeah are we talking about that yet or no yeah yeah okay we, we we can um watch for it right like uh we're gonna do a midsummer nights con is what we're calling it um uh, sponsored by or presented by logical and absolute appsec um which is gonna be just a short virtual conference um technical talks uh so far we've got at least three or four people lined up. We'll announce it and throw throw up a, a website here shortly. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna go for it, right? Um, just do so. It'll be Midsummer Night, uh, whatever that is, but uh, July twenty fourth, I think, or June twenty. And I got Stefan to promise me that he would do a keynote about uh, software composition, like the history of software and software composition. And uh, also like where security came into that. And then like the, basically like a brief history of software and security. So he yeah. said he agreed to it. So it's like, man, can you imagine him? Who's like, if you don't know anything about Stefan, man, don't ever try to like, don't come in with just a little bit of knowledge on it and a subject with history with him. Cause he will, he will set you straight. He will, uh, yeah, he he'll, he'll, give you, he'll, give, he'll give you the background on it all. And yeah, 
Yeah. I, I, you know, there, there's previous episodes with Stefan. I'm sure you can jump in there. And actually, he, him and is it him and Brian that are joining us, or who is it in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it's next, next week. week. Hold on, let me see. Um, yeah. I think it is next week, which I'm really excited for. Brian's done a, a lot of work with um, the university, and he's a professor. For those that don't know, Brian Glass is a professor. And next week's May 26. Yeah, that's going to be them next week. Okay, sweet. Yep. So Stefan will be on next week. If you want to like derail our conversation, come in and ask some you know random question about a a compiler <laughs> from 1982, and you know off we go. So. Um, but just, no, just my, honestly come up with the, mo- that's what I'm going to do, man. I'm going to come up with the most <laughs> obscure language nobody's ever heard of. And I'm going to drop it on him and see what he knows. And that's going to be my, like, don't tell it. Don't, don't tell anybody YouTubers or people watching, whatever you're going to, I don't know what you call. Don't tell anybody. I'm going to spring something on him. Sweet. Okay. We'll do some research. So, okay. Midsummer night's con. It will be on June 24th, but watch this space for additional details. Um, it's all just going to be online for free. The tagline uh, is a virtual infosec conference for digital wizards, electronic witches, and virtual adepts. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Oh. That's all I got to say. So Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. That's cool. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're working through organizing that. Um, I don't know. I like Ken, like we haven't talked about doing training or anything like that. I think it will just be an online conference, but we might do a training session or something like that connected to it on the code review side. So depending on how much, how much time and effort you and I decide we want to put into it. So um, yeah, outside of that, Ken, um, I mean, we're almost at an hour, not quite, but what else is going on? What else do you want to talk about today? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure what I want to talk about. I don't think um, I don't think I uh, I have too much to really um, to chat about. Honestly, I've just been like uh, trying to make it through this. Our uh, in where we're at. Our so uh, I know a lot of places are reopening, but our we have this weird thing in Virginia where uh, the the northern Virginia area, which is like we'll say the I think it's like. I think it's pretty safe to say like within a 30 minute or 30 mile sort of like distance to DC is kind of like Nova considered Nova. And then past that, I don't know, but the rest, so the rest of Virginia is reopening as of uh, yesterday, reopening phase one. So like slowly trickling back in. Um, And, but for whatever reason, I think it's because we are a densely populated area here in Northern Virginia there's four counties um, and those four counties uh, asked the governor, which he obliged to delay phase one reopening until I want to say it's like the first week of June or the, or may, maybe it's May 28th and then reassess. Um, I think their primary concern is to keep our hospitals from being, you know, overloaded um, yeah. just because we are like a more densely populated, higher case count. So um, I get it. It sucks, obviously, because, you know, it's like we're, we're all we've all been stuck in this situation um, at the same time. I, like, I don't know about you, but I'm not really any rush to. I, I, like, I want the phases to to begin for sure. I mean, who doesn't want life to start to go back to normal? But uh, 
What I don't want is to be inconvenienced because I'm a very selfish, lazy person. So I don't, I kind of want to like wait until all the phases are done and everything's back open until I do anything again, <laughs> just cause I don't want to deal with like, I don't know those. I just don't want to deal with the annoyances that we've been dealing with where it's like the, uh, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Right. But it's annoying. Um, I mean, it, I say it's not that big of a deal for the like things that you consider annoying. Like you have to like maybe wait a little bit longer in line or you got six feet. I'm not talking about people that I am certainly not talking about people that lost their businesses or, um, you know, going through like, like financial hardship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the, the things that I consider minor that just, so I want basically all that shit to go away before like I go outside again. So all phases <laughs> done before I like, and it's not because of like some political reason. It's because I'm lazy and I don't want to deal with horse shit and like extra annoyances. And yeah. And so, yeah. 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 I don't know. Like I have a hard time getting out there and it feels like people are pretty inconsiderate about how everybody else is dealing with things. Right. You know, yeah. if, if you're somebody that has to work at a grocery store, like, I, I mean, yeah, like, like, you would prefer to see everybody wear a mask because you don't know where the hell they've been, right? Right, And yeah. then you got the people outside that are arguing about, well, like that infringes on my rights. And I'm like, yeah, but you not doing that infringes on someone else's rights, you know? And I just, but yeah. then like the, the economy definitely needs to restart. And uh, I don't know, travel's going to be weird for a long time. And I just, yeah. Yeah, that's what I really don't want to do is so this this is this is actually something I mentioned last night uh cuz it's on the same note of like I mean obviously I'm not a lazy selfish person. I I'm joking, but like uh yeah, to some degree we all are, right? We're all a little sort of like I don't want to be inconvenienced. But in the the same in that same conversation, um that was the other thing I I I mentioned was that like um Yeah, like basically um Basically that like, I, I don't want to deal with, um, I don't know how to say this. Yeah. I'm not sure how to phrase this. Like I, I just, yeah, I just don't want to like deal with sort of like the, I don't know how to, I really don't know how to explain this. Like without, I don't know how to like phrase this. So I, I just don't want to schedule a trip, I guess right now, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to schedule a trip to, to like a conference, you know, and like yeah. have that canceled. Cause I don't know like if it'll, fl if there's going to be, I don't know how to say it. it's like flare ups. Is that the right way to say it? a flare or like whatever they're calling it when it reemerges? Uh, I can't, is yeah. it a flare up? I don't know the, the term flare up a uh, second outbreak, whatever. whatever you want to call it. Second, yeah. Like an outbreak. Yeah. Whatever. I don't want that to happen. And then even though you can like cancel, you can usually cancel your flight or your hotel or whatever for free these days when these, this emergency shit happens, but like who's going to want to really like book a vacation for the rest of the year. Or I, I know that I really want to do local Moco second November. I'm genuinely concerned though. Like what if they shut things down again? I think I would, because of the fact they'll refund, not, not Locomoco. I mean like airlines and hotels and stuff. I think it's probably fine for that to like do a, or a, a turn a work trip into a vacation type deal where you, you have the two. Um, but still, even then it's like, 
I just, I don't know. It's like, it's a weird vibe, man. Like, is that the right thing to do to, to go traveling around too? You know, what, what if, what, what if like, what if you spread it around and Damn. you don't even know you're an asymptomatic carrier and like, then we're in this shit show again. And it's like, I just don't know, man. It's very, it's very complex situation. I don't pretend to know the ins and outs. That's why with the mask thing, like you said, I mean, I'm just, I, I kind of just, I've seen, I've seen reasons why some people sort of like have their political views on it. I tend to, when it comes to science, think more about science than politics, but um, you know, weird. Right. But like the CDC said on their site, you know, unless you're two years and of age and under put a mask on. So, I mean, I don't know if it's going to fucking work at all. Like I have no idea. I don't think any of it. I mean, like maybe that's, maybe that's all for show. And we're going to look back in like 10 years and think we're idiots. But for right now I'm wearing it because scientists said that it might be the <laughs> right thing to do. So it's, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't pretend to know, man. I don't, it's just a hard situation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it, everyone's going through it, right? Like, it's all, yeah. Well, like, <laughs> I know I've been, like, t going on a tangent, but one last thing is fucking annoying is, like, you sit there and you follow, you know, you wear the mask, people do the gloves even, that's fine. But then, like, I watch people just completely doing shit that just throws that out the window. Like, yep. like touching everything and then, like, touching their face, the gloves on, and you're just like... I mean, you know, I'm not really, to be fair, like, I just want to be clear. I'm not afraid for me or my family. We're healthy. Like, I'm not worried, but I am worried for other people. So everything yeah. I do, I, I think it's the same notion of what you're saying. It's like everything I'm doing is just for other people. It's not for me. It's not for my yeah. family. Like, we're, we're very healthy people. Yeah. And I mean, there's some concerns, too, because, you know, with like, well, you just don't know how it manifests. Like, it's really weird. And like, again, the scientific community is like, eh, we don't know, right? Like, this is yeah. so new. It could be that, you know, it makes your big toe grow 10, 10 sizes too big or some, you know, some shit like that. Yeah, so there's new data like, all, all the time. time. Yeah. So until they figure it out, it it does feel premature to to schedule too much. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I'm hoping that stuff will calm back down right like initially i was hoping you know that defcon would happen again right and that we'd be able to all get together but yeah i'm torn yep. man i'm torn yeah. i want it to happen but i'm like it's it's dicey, it's yeah, dicey 20, scheduling, so. it just feels like 2020 is going to be you know uh, the year of staying at home and then and then we'll slowly get back to whatever the new normal is going to be so yeah yeah. Anyway, ready for this horse shit to end. This year can go kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, well, cool. Um, yeah. So we'll have uh, Stefan and Brian on next week. Uh, like, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk some OWASP top 10 and other things because Brian's heavily involved in that project. Um, it'll be some nihilist conversations with logical. <laughs> Um, and it'll be a fun time. It always is when those guys come on. Uh, otherwise, fuzz your stuff, right? If you've got um, questions or you know you want to talk about how an approach to do that, please, please, please jump in to you know Twitter DMs or even just Twitter public or our Absolute AppSec Slack channel. Would love to talk to you about it and how you're approaching it, as opposed to you know the stuff that we do because there's many, many different nuances to fuzzing in general. So, 
or static analysis or anything else we talk about. So um, yeah. All right. Well then I guess we'll call it for today. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, Ken, any last minute items? Nope. Thank you everybody for watching. And uh, yeah, thank you. Just thank you to everybody. All right. You're keeping us sane as much as we're keeping you sane. So cool. more, more, you're keeping me personally more sane by uh yeah, yeah. podcast. So sweet. Okay. Thanks everybody. Have a good day. All right.